When you see El Capitan for the first time, I mean, it takes your breath away. Early in the morning, there's this one panel of the wall that illuminates first, the Dawn Wall. It has never been climbed until Tommy Caldwell came along. Nobody had actually considered trying it. It's like stepping off the edge of the earth. And I was looking across at the Dawn Wall, the last unclimbed big swath of stone. I decided maybe that could be climbed. I needed a partner. Kevin, he was one of the best in the world. It only up to about 30 feet. But everybody else thought I was crazy. At this point, I have no idea what I'm getting into. It's about to consume six years of my life. This is a pipe dream, man. Come on. Nothing left to do but just take a couple deep breaths. If Tommy and Kevin can actually do this, it will be... Come on! The most difficult climb ever done. And it's going to go on day after day. Suddenly, the whole world was watching. Okay, and one of them stuck. Oh! It was pretty clear that that was it. I don't want to hold you back. Maybe this climb really was impossible. No! We are capable of so much more than we could ever imagine. I don't know if you've ever seen the documentary, The Dawn Wall, but I want to encourage you over the next week or two, if you have opportunity, you need to check it out. The documentary is about two men who are mountain climbers. They're rock climbers, but for most of their career, for nearly all of their career, they have climbed alone. They are solo climbers. Kevin Jorgensen and Tommy Caldwell made a decision that they would form a partnership. They would become climbing partners and they would seek to do together what has never been done. And that is to climb together the Dawn Wall, this 3,000 foot rock face in Yosemite National Park. They would climb it together. It's an incredible documentary because it talks about their friendship. It talks about the development that over six years of studying, of analyzing, of strategizing, and then their attempt to climb the mountain, to see their friendship develop, to see the frustrations, to see the joys, to see the frictions, to see the highs and the lows, the hurts and the failures. It's an incredible, incredible documentary. It's an incredible thing to see them working together. For those of you that may not be as familiar with mountain climbing or rock climbing, to see how these climbing partners work, one generally climbs, comes to a place in which they could place a, a stake into the mountain, into the rock, then secure their rope, and then the other partner comes and even goes further. The term that is used is belaying, helping. And go. And the principle of climbing partners is this, is that you can only go as far as your climbing partner. You're only going to get as high, you're only going to go as far as your climbing partner. As I begin to think about this teaching series, this teaching series on those key relationships in our life, I begin to think about this documentary. There are so many similarities about those key relationships in our life. It could be a business relationship. It could be a friendship. It could be a family dynamic. It could be your marriage. 
But there are some obstacles that friendships, relationships, these key relationships in our lives, these key relationships in which we, we experience the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. Those that uh, we love so much and yet hurt us so deeply. How we learn about those relationships. How do we strengthen? How do we, how do we go further? How do we go higher? And so I began thinking about this documentary. I began thinking about the teaching of God's Word. I began thinking about those relationships in my life. I began thinking about my own marriage, my climbing partner for 30 years. And what are those lessons? I do know this about rock climbing, about what I've seen, what I've read. I know this about marriage and life and friendships and relationships as there are, there are mountains to overcome. There are obstacles to overcome. One of the obstacles that has to be overcome in climbing partners is that which is called, or I refer to it as speculation. One of the things that you would see in the documentary is at times there was a misunderstanding or a miscommunication between Kevin and Tommy. And so if that misunderstanding, if that miscommunication, if it wasn't corrected soon, it could be devastating. One of the things that they had to work out is how to communicate. In fact, there's a, there's a couple of instances in there where you can almost see on one of their faces, you can almost see the wheels turning in which they're thinking, maybe I chose the wrong climbing partner. I thought about that scene, and I thought about over the years of the different marriage counseling that I've done as a pastor, and, and couples that will come in, and it may be that young bride, it may be that young groom that would say, Pastor, we've had our first major argument, and, and Pastor, I'm wondering, did, did, I, did I marry the wrong person? Did I pick the wrong partner? And I would say to you what I would say to them. It's not that you married the wrong person. It's not that you picked the wrong one. You're just having to figure out how to communicate with one another, how to, how to understand one another. One of the obstacles that climbing partners have to overcome is this thing of speculation, this thing of misunderstanding, miscommunication. One of the things that you have to figure out is how to understand the other person. By the way, in rock climbing, mountain climbing, what's the worst that can happen? Somebody die. In a marriage, much worse. The crushing of the heart. So there are obstacles. In a marriage, in a family, in a business, in a friendship, we have to we have to overcome. We have to, we have to figure out. There's speculation. But one of the biggest obstacles that climbing partners have to overcome is that of selfishness. Kevin and Tommy in the documentary, they had spent their careers climbing alone. So it was very unique. It was very different for them to figure out how to not first and foremost think about themselves but first and foremost to think of the other person. That if I can help the other person be successful, then, then I am successful. 
If I can encourage and help my partner succeed and go farther and go higher, then I'm going farther. I'm succeeding. And so that's true not only in mountain climbing, but certainly true in a marriage. One of the things we have to learn early on in that marriage is, is how, do I, how do I think first and foremost of my spouse? You see, if you have a me-first attitude in that key relationship, in particular in a marriage, you're, you're doomed to fall. You're doomed to fail. You're, you're, you're destined for pain in that relationship. So there's some obstacles, right, that, that climbing partners have to overcome. There's, there's speculation. There's, there's miscommunication, misunderstanding, figuring that out. There's, there's certainly selfishness. But then there's also what I just like to call slip-ups. Because you see, this is what happens in a friendship. This is what happens in a business relationship. This is what happens in a family, and it happens in a marriage. One gets distracted, uh, gets off focus, and watch this, lets go of the rope, and somebody gets hurt, hurts bad, hurts deeply, and it happens. It happens in literal mountain climbing, and it happens in families, it happens in marriages. There's a slip up, there's a, there's a mistake that happens. And we have to learn how to overcome. We have to learn how to, to move beyond that, to experience healing because when one in that relationship lets go of the rope, what can happen as a result is devastating, painful. And the reason, by the way, we, we hurt so deeply when that happens is because we love so deeply. The more you love, the more it hurts when there's a mistake. And so there's multiple obstacles that, that climbing partners, they have to, to overcome if they're going to go farther, if they're going to go higher, if they're going to experience that which God has for them. And you know that. You know that whether you've been married six months or 60 years, you, you know that. There's obstacles. But really what I want you and I to spend our time on this morning are are the principles that help us overcome those ar ar obstacles. You see, fortunately for, for you and for me in life and in our relationships, we actually have a, we have a guidebook. Uh, we have a book that helps us in understanding how to climb and how to overcome and how to get along and, and how to build. And so I want you to take your Bible this morning and find Matthew's gospel in chapter number five. Matthew chapter five, and what you and I are going to look at for just the next few minutes, just a portion of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Specifically, in particular, we're going to look at the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are called the Beatitudes because of a little Latin term that's 
That means blessed. Because each of the Beatitudes, Jesus begins with the word blessed. Now, he's not talking about external blessings. He's not talking about a prosperity-type gospel. But these are more internal blessings. These are more spiritual blessings. This is how you in your life, in your marriage, in your family, how you can be blessed. So this morning, as we think about friendships, as we think about maybe your business partner, as we're thinking about your spouse, how do you climb higher? How do you climb farther? Well, Matthew chapter 5 As I begin reading in verse number one, would you stand in the honor of the reading of God's holy word? And seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. It means they're not just the 12, but literally thousands. Thousands by this particular time that are following Jesus. They're listening to Jesus And there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, there is a natural amphitheater built into the side of that hill. And the people are sitting all around, and Jesus is above them. And he begins to speak, and he begins to teach. And if you've ever been to the Holy Land, oh, it's an incredible thing to stand and picture that natural amphitheater as Jesus is speaking and teaching. As a matter of fact, next October... October of 2023, we're going to take another group back to the Holy Land. Ten days. And I would encourage you, if you've never been, you need to go. And we're going to go to one of these, we're going to go to this spot. And you'll be able to see this. I'm telling you, the Bible comes alive when you're able to walk where Jesus walked. But there on that hillside, Jesus said this. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. And as we gather every Sunday, I encourage you to take out a piece of paper, take a pen, For those of you that are watching online, take that piece of paper, take that pen. And what I want to give you in these next few minutes very quickly as we walk through these eight Beatitudes is very quickly just think about the eight principles. The eight principles that Jesus gives us in those key relationships in our lives so that we can climb farther. We can go higher. And even those that we love the most and in some ways and sometimes drive us the most crazy, we experience the fulfillment and the purpose and the joy that God has for us. Look at the first, the poor in spirit. Verse number three, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit He's not talking, by the way, about financial poverty. 
He's talking about spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who realize how spiritually bankrupt they are, how powerless they are without God's power. I love Eugene Peterson's The Message. It's not a translation, but it's a paraphrase, and I love how he renders this particular verse. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. I love that. When you are at the end of your rope, maybe in your marriage, maybe on the job, when you're in your life, when you're at the end of your rope, Hey, let me say this to you. Look up here. When you're at the end of your rope, then you can find God's hope. It's at the end of your rope that you find his hope and his power and his joy. Listen, there are times in your life that God will bring you. He will bring your marriage. He will bring your business. He will bring your life to the very end of your rope so that you'll cry out to him. This morning, you witnessed Mike Myers being baptized. Do you know his story? He came to church this morning. In his own words, watch this, at the end of his rope, and he cried out to God. Sometimes that's exactly where God wants you. That's what Jesus said, blessed are those, blessed are those who come to the end of their rope, who are spiritually bankrupt. It's a good thing. It's the right place because it's there that you find God. It's there that you find his power. It is there that you find hope. One of the purposes of the family, I think at times, is for God to bring us there, bring our families to the end of the rope. And there's, by the way, nothing that will bring you to the end of your rope like family or like marriage. Nothing will pull, will make you want to pull your hair out more like family. Nothing can drive you as crazy as family. And sometimes we just wonder, what can we do? I'm at the end of my rope. Well, that's exactly where God wants you. Sometimes it's going up the mountain and then falling back and then going back up, but that's where God wants us. Not to hide our habits or our hurts or our hangups, but to be fully known, fully exposed, starting at the end of our rope, admitting that we're empty, admitting that we're spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing left, crying out for God's peace, crying out for God's power, crying out for hope, and that's where we find it. Number two. Principle number two, those who mourn. Look at verse number four. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Why is it that marriages, our children, our family, why is it that the greatest hurts, the greatest pains in our life comes from those that we love the most? Why is that? Well, it cuts so deep because we love so deep. Again, I love how Eugene Peterson, I love how the message renders this. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. And only then you can be embraced by the one that is truly most dear to you. When you lose your grip on what you're holding on to, and you can't hold on any longer and you 
let go. It is in that letting go that you fall into the arms of the one who really cares. The one who truly can carry you up the mountain. You see, marriage and family relationships, they cause the most hurt, but they're also the place where you can find your greatest healing. And some of you this morning, some of you that are watching online, you're in that place of pain right now. You're in that place of, of hurt. And you would think, man, this, there's no way, certainly this is not God's plan. But God allowed it. Because it's in your greatest hurt that you can find his greatest healing. It's in those close relationships. And you can't avoid it. You know, when you're hurt, I mean, that hurt is even going to tear you further and further apart. But in that hurt and that pain, can, can, can be, there can be healing. And let me just give you just a, a word of counsel. In the, in the years of pastoral ministry, in the, in the years of counseling, I just would, would say to you, especially in that marriage relationship, when your spouse is hurting, they're not looking for you to speed up the healing. They're not looking for you to, to bring about or to replace the hurt with happiness. I can tell you in, in our 30 years, my initial, because I'm a fixer and that's my, not my natural personality, that's my default that when Kathy is hurting, my, my goal, my default is to fix it. My goal is, is to not have her hurt, but to have her happy. What can I do to make you happy? And there's been times over the years that Kathy would say to me, I'm not looking for you to make me happy. I'm not looking for you to, to speed up this healing. I just need you to get into this hurt with me. I need you to hurt with me. And so men, it's Father's Day. So let me just give you a, a word of counsel. Let me just give you a word, a word of advice. She doesn't want you to to make her happy. She just wants you to connect with her. She wants you to feel her hurt. It's not your job to make her happy. It's not your job to hurry up her hurt. It's your job to, to feel the hurt with her. It's your job to get into the hurt with her and then to see the healing process begin and continue. Look at the next principle here in verse number five. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You ought to underline that word meek in your Bible. Jesus said, blessed, happy. Blessed are the ones that are meek. When you and I think about that word meek, what do we think about? We, we think of meekness as weakness. But that's not what the term means. That's, that's not what the word means, and that's not what Jesus meant. The word meek literally means strength under control. Sp strength under control. We're living in a world, we're living in a nation, we're living in a culture in which men today are out of control. We're living in a culture today that women are out of control. Lust out of control, anger out of control, out of control, selfishness. 
that causes all kinds of problems in the family, in the home, in our culture. And what our nation needs today, what our homes need today, are men and women who are meek, who have their strength under control. The question is, how do I know? How do I know if in a marriage relationship you have your strength under control. In fact, can I just say this? I can say that most every Thursday, that's my counseling day. And over the last probably almost 30 years of, of pastoral ministry, I'm telling you what I'm seeing increasingly every year, even in the context of the church, out of control, lust, out of control, anger, men who are out of control. And it's affecting marriages. It's affecting homes. So how do we know in the marriage that there's strength under control? Well, you know it and you recognize it when you stop trying to change your spouse. Instead of trying to change your spouse, you're cherishing your spouse. Now, are there changes that need to be made? Sure. It doesn't mean that they, they don't need to change. Everyone probably needs to grow and develop. But you can't change them. Number one, that's not your job. Number two, you can't do it anyway. Only God can change the heart. So while God is trying to change them and is changing them, you just cherish them and leave the change up to God. You stop trying to change the other person and you start cherishing them and you create this atmosphere where they can change and you begin find healing in the Lord and you become the meek person that God has called you to be. Well, let's look at the fourth one. Verse number six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. I love how the God's word translation renders this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, watch this, God's approval. For what? They'll be satisfied. God's approval. What happens so often in a, in a marriage or relationship, especially in those earlier years, is, is that they're, they're looking to, to please the other person. And that making the other person happy, well, there's the satisfaction and there's the fulfillment. Can I give you some counsel? Can I give you some advice? You'll never completely please the other person. It's impossible. Can I just remind you, even God can't make everyone happy all the time, especially Baptist. If, if God can't make everyone happy all the time, what makes you think you can make that other person happy? And so listen, you don't seek the other person's approval, seek God's approval. One of the things in our 30 years that Kathy and I have learned together is that if we give our attention, our focus in seeking God's approval, it actually draws us closer together. Hungering for righteousness, seeking God's approval. By the way, each of these 
principles, each of these beatitudes, they just build off one another in moving in this direction of climbing higher, climbing farther in our relationships. Number five, principle number five found in verse number seven, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. I believe he's speaking there about forgiveness. I think that every close relationship has to be built on forgiveness. Why is that? Because we make mistakes, because we fail, because we fall, and and we need forgiveness. We need to receive forgiveness. We need to offer forgiveness. We've talked about this in recent days, but Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, who are you to withhold forgiveness when you have been forgiven so much? In that relationship, in that friendship, in that marriage, who are you to withhold forgiveness when you have been forgiven so much by your Father in heaven? By the way, forgiveness, not a feeling. Forgiveness, not an emotion. Forgiveness is not forgetting. I've heard this, well, I I could never forgive him because I could never forget it. Well, that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a decision. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not forgetting. It's a decision followed by a process. Forgiveness is a decision that says, I no longer owe you. You no longer owe me. The debt that is owed, I release you. I decide today to release you of the debt that is owed. Now, does it mean that you pretend like it never happened? No. Forgiveness is a decision that then begins the process, watch this, of rebuilding the trust. It may be that in forgiving, there are boundaries. That's okay. Forgiveness is not the same as trust. Forgiveness can be immediate, but the trust occurs over time. Well, let's look at the next because we're, we're very quickly moving out of, out of time. Principle number six, verse number eight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart. You got to underline that phrase, maybe circle it, maybe write in the margin of your Bible there, truth. It's blessed. Blessed are those who step into the truth. Even when it's messy, speak truth. Live in the truth. Don't hide in the shadows, but bring it out into the light what is the truth because lies destroy trust. Truth gives life. Truth gives freedom. Jesus said this in John chapter 8 in verse number 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you what? Free. We often say that, don't we? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
Now listen carefully. It's not the truth that makes you free. It's knowing the truth that makes you free. It's knowing the truth, living in the truth, embracing the truth. And there are times in a marriage, there are times in a family, there are times in a business in which the truth is painful. The truth hurts, but the truth must be told. The truth must be revealed. And you must embrace the truth and live in the truth because it is in the truth where there is freedom and life. Look at the seventh In verse number nine, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Again, let me refer you to the message there in verse number nine. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or to fight. And that's when you really discover who who you really are and and your place in God's family when you realize, hey, we're not in competition here. You're not the enemy. We're on the same side. I cannot tell you how many times in, in marriage counseling that I have to say, whoa, 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 hey, time out. He's not your enemy. She's not your enemy. Stop competing with one another. Well, pastor, you know, I feel like I'm giving 100%, but she's giving 65%. But if she would just give 85%, and if I would give, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop competing. So often in a marriage relationship, we find ourselves competing with the other person. Your spouse is not the enemy. Your spouse is not the, comp- the competition. Sometimes as a couple, you just have to remind each other, hey, we're on the same side. As a matter of fact, it may be a reminder that, look, this old world and all of the difficulties and all of the hardships and all of the problems and all of the temptations, friend, listen, that's the enemy, not your spouse. Hey, maybe your mother-in-law, but not your spouse. Hey, if you're married and your spouse is with you this morning, turn to your spouse and say this, we're on the same side. Say it again, we're on the same side. We are on the same side. Stop competing, but understand you're on the same side. You're to complement each other, not competing with each other. And then the last one, number eight, verse number 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is Jesus saying there? Look up here. Here's what he's saying. He says, listen, there's going to be times it's going to get hard, extremely hard, and more difficult than you can ever imagine. And you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted to quit. You're going to be tempted to, to, watch this, you're going to be tempted to cut the rope. But you got to be committed. Because for those that are are committed, that's where the real blessing is, not to quit, not to cut the rope, but to say, hey, we're stuck in this together. That's one of the things in 
for Kathy and I in our 30 years, there's various times that I've had to say to her and she's had to say to me, hey, you're stuck with me. You're stuck with me. I've always said if Kathy ever leaves me, I'm going with her. Amen. (laughs) Hey, you're stuck with me. We've talked about this at various times. I preached this same message downtown about an hour ago. She said, hey, you're stuck with me. I said, hey, listen, let's never, never, ever, ever cut the rope. She said, no, no, no. We'll we'll never cut the rope. Now, I may hang you with the rope, (laughs) but we'll never cut the rope. So often it gets hard, and you just want to cut the rope. Don't cut the rope. You made a covenant. You made a commitment. There are times that you're in the documentary. They're about two-thirds of the way. And they're stuck. And they're running low on food. Low on resources. Do we just cut the rope? And they were tempted. They struggled. But they said, no, 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 no. We made a commitment. And even though this is the hardest it's ever been, and it looks impossible, we made a commitment. It may be, for those of you that are watching online, it may be that this very day, in your marriage, you're considering cutting the rope. It may be that in your life, you're at the end of your rope. That may be exactly where God wants you to be. Because it's at the end of your rope that you find his hope and his power and his grace and his mercy and ultimately his purpose. There are some of you here this morning that are experiencing a hurt like you've never felt before. I have great news for you. There is a healer. There is a healer who can bring healing to your heart. Let go and trust him and let him carry you. His arms are strong enough to carry you the rest of the way. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? I want to pray for us. The band is going to come and they're going to lead us in a time of worship. In fact, I'm going to invite our pastors to come stand here in the front. Two or three of our pastors and the altar is open and there may be some men here this morning. There may be some husbands who need to take their wife by the hand and and maybe have a pastor pray with you or pastor pray for you, pray for your marriage. Maybe just come and kneel at this altar. Hey, maybe there's a son, maybe there's a daughter that's causing you right now much pain, much hurt. Oh, friend, listen. Give that to the Lord. Give that to him. Hey, are you at the end of your rope? 
Oh, that's exactly where you find his hope. Do you need a healer? Cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the, to the great healer. There's, a, there's probably a couple here this morning. Or maybe just a spouse. And you're at the verge of cutting the rope. Don't quit. Don't quit yet. Don't quit now. Don't quit yet. In your greatest hurt, you can find the greatest healing. Just cry out to the healer. Heavenly Father, there is in this room today, I sense it, I know it, there is pain, there is hurt, there is deep, deep hurt because of deep love. It may be a prodigal son, it may be a prodigal daughter, it may be a husband, it may be a wife, but there is hurt. And there are those who are watching and there are those who are in this room and they're so considering cutting the rope. There are those at the end of their rope. I pray for a crying out to you. I pray that as couples come. I pray that as moms and dads come to this altar and as they're crying out on behalf of their marriage or crying out on behalf of their children, God, I pray that you hear every word that is poured out to you. I pray for these that will be coming to this pastors, Lord, who, who need prayer, who need wisdom, who need guidance. Lord, I pray that you hear every prayer that is cried out this morning. Lord, your word says that as we cry out to you, you begin working even as our mouths are forming the words, you are acting on the behalf of your children. And so God, I pray that you would bring healing. I pray that you would begin to bring, Lord, wholeness back to these families, back to these marriages. Lord, begin bringing back the brokenness of lives, dear God. Repair those that are broken. In these next moments as we cry out, Lord, hear us. Hear us, Lord. In Jesus' name.